Hey, Shuang Esther Shan here. I hope you're enjoying Shopify Masters and have been inspired by our guests. But we know we can always do better, so we want to hear from you. We got this short survey that we would love for you to fill out. The address is easy to remember. It's Shopify.com/survey. Head on over there, and if you finish the survey, we got gift cards and other sweet merchandise you could win. Again, that's Shopify.com/survey. Help us make our show better. And thanks. You can build up a following, a community, a content basis before you even start a company. Before you even know what company you want to start. Hello, and welcome to Shopify Masters, the podcast powered by Shopify, your companion for starting and building a business. I'm Shuang Esther Shan, your host for today. So maybe you've heard of the keto diet. It's low carb, high fat, and aims to put your body into the metabolic state called ketosis. This is when you start to burn fat for energy, and your body produces more ketones. Well, have you ever wondered if there's an easier way to produce more ketones? Well, that's what Michael Brandt and Jeffrey Wu wondered. Can it be as simple as taking a drink of ketones instead of adopting a whole new diet? Michael and Jeffrey started HVMN, or Health via Modern Nutrition, to research and launch a ketones supplements drink. The journey started in 2014, and Michael is here today to chat about product development, community building, and how they are scaling this multi-million-dollar business. Thank you so much for being here today, Michael. Thanks for having me, and thanks everyone who's listening in. Looking forward to the conversation. Creating ketone supplements sounds like an extremely difficult feat. How did you even begin your product development process? Ketones are a really interesting molecule. They're a really interesting form of energy that our body makes already. People have known about it for a while. My journey of how I came into it was: I'm a computer scientist by background who got into biohacking, and from biohacking got into nutrition. And started looking at what are the main drivers of performance, cognition, recovery, the main outputs that people care about from getting good endpoints from the food that they eat. And one topic that kept coming up is ketones, because when people are doing a low carb diet, they're trying to produce more ketones. When people are exercising, training for a marathon, their body is getting better at making ketones. When people are doing intermittent fasting, which has gotten really Popular in different productivity circles, their body is making more ketones. So this word ketone kept coming up, and we've known for a long time your body can make a ketone if you're drinking bulletproof coffee. There's certain things that you can do to make your body make more ketones. My co-founder and I we asked the kind of simple but complicated question of, hey, why can't you just go drink a ketone? Then if ketones are so cool, why can't I go to the store? Why isn't there a A store online that has a ketone drink. So that was the initial question that led into our journey here. It's it's a really good question, and it's one that I'm sure so many people are happy that you've asked. So, where were some of the first steps and some of the first research that jump started the start of HVMN? Yeah. So rewinding the tape all the way back, my co-founder and I actually started a business in 2014 that was called Nutrobox, and That was really popular. Nootropics. We were one of the first nootropics brands to take nootropics mainstream. So we were on Shark Tank. We were in the Wall Street Journal, Vice, Bloomberg. We really put the idea of nootropics on the map. Where hey, caffeine works. You know, a billion cups of coffee are drink every day. 
what can you stack on top of caffeine to get a better performance profile? That was our initial question, and Nutribox did extremely well. And then we started thinking more broadly around broader areas of human health and performance. I got into marathoning. I'm a semi-pro marathoner, run six-minute miles for the marathon. We've got a big intermittent fasting group going where people do different intermittent fasting regimens, either daily or extended fasts. I, my co-founder and I and our community did a seven-day-long fast at one point. So we've been pushing a lot of different areas around metabolic flexibility, and the word ketone kept coming up. We saw that there was some interest around making a ketone. We saw that there was early research by DARPA in the United States Department of Defense. DARPA is a really cool group. It's the Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency a lot of people have heard of them because they created the original internet before the internet was the internet. It was this, it was like six computers like talking to each other in the 1970s. DARPA does frontier technologies that sometimes, but not always, become mainstream technologies when they get picked up by by companies that commercialize them. So DARPA had done some work along with the National Institute of Health in the early 2000s around ketones and had established some of the basic science around ketones working and being really efficient. And there was this program, it was called Operation Metabolic Dominance, where they showed some interesting early signs around ketones. It never went anywhere. It was collecting dust on the shelf. My co-founder and I, when we were running this nootropics business, but then we getting into broader areas of metabolic health, Bulletproof is trending really hard. The keto diet is trending hard. We're thinking about ketones. We're asking that question, hey, why can't I go drink a ketone? It was that light bulb moment or that dot connecting of an entrepreneur. We were kind of put a few different things together and we said, hey, you know what? Let's do this. Let's make a run for it. We rebranded. We called the company HVMN, Healthy and Modern Nutrition, so that we could expand beyond just nootropics. And we launched the world's first ketone ester drink in 2017. And at the start, it was still pretty expensive. And, and we were mainly working with elite operators. We got a big multi-million dollar contract with the Department of Defense. And we had it available on our Shopify store for high performers. So Ironman athletes, people trained for marathon. It was very dialed in. Like sometimes we'd have really high-end execs, CEOs drinking it for performance fuel in their office. It was a very high-end product for the first few years until uh, we researched and, and were able to bring down the price a lot. And speaking of dots connecting, it's very fateful about discovering this research because you end up having this huge contract with DARPA. So for fellow founders, maybe share about the process when receiving a large contract. How do you organize yourself so that you're using the finances in the right way, you're scaling in the right way, and you're expanding your production to meet the needs of this contract? Yeah, that's a great question. It's something that a lot of entrepreneurs chase down is that you want a big government contract or you want a big order from Costco or Walmart or Whole Foods. And once that order comes in, it can be a blessing and a curse. It's like, oh my gosh, okay, now we got to go make it real. With the US government, at least with the military, in order to get that level of funding, there is a lot of budgeting and structuring that goes into that to begin with of, okay, you're applying for these funds. Where exactly are you going to allocate it? You have to have things pretty tied together to get that. In that sense, some of the pre-work was done where, okay, like we're going to do this, these seven different subtasks. 
We're going to do these subcontractors on task two and four, and we're going to have this deliverable and here's how we're going to staff it. Not to say it's easy, but yeah, once the contract is signed, once the money starts to come in, at that point for us, it was a matter of execution. Like, okay, we said we're going to do this. It's pretty well scoped. Let's go and do it. So it, it becomes tractable. Like the hard part I would say is in a big government contract is just the initial conception, like getting even the hooks into the right contracting vehicle, getting a good proposal and being even able to budget it out and write that proposal. I would say that was the kind of magical part for us. When you're iterating your product, how did you seek out feedback and who did you ask for giving you feedback? The work is never done. We are on version two of our ketone product line. So version one, we launched in 2017. Version two, which we call Ketone IQ, we launched earlier this year in 2022. We launched it in January. We actually had 33,000 people on our wait list when we flipped it live on our Shopify store. And there's a version three ahead of us. The, the work is never done. You can think of it like I'm not inventing this paradigm. It's the same way that you would think about the iPhone, like iPhone two versus iPhone three. You could say, I don't want to pick on iPhone here, but you could say at a certain point, maybe the distance between innovations reduces, but certainly in like the early iPhones, like each one was it had a big material update in it. Like it went from no app store to there's an app store to like wow, like the camera is significantly better, battery life significantly better. So we're looking at the same thing here. We're like, our version one of our ketone was extremely expensive, tasted pretty crazy. It's t- you know tasted like a research chemical. We were able to simplify it down a lot. But I, a lot of it was talking to people where our version one was very complicated. I think a lot of entrepreneurs run into this where you almost overload with too much features or technical complexity. You make the kind of like dream unicorn on your V1. It's like almost the opposite of MVP, minimum viable product where you go really low scope. Sometimes you can make the thing that's that's too complicated or too expensive or has too many bells and whistles to it. And then the journey of the entrepreneur becomes addition through subtraction. It's like, okay, how do I make this a better product by removing complexity? How do I make the supply chain around this simpler? How do I make the formula simpler? Simple relative to what? Like simple relative to what is that clear, concise need of the customer where I shave everything off of the product that is not meeting that need. That's been the journey for us where we we started with something that was overly complicated and we reduced it down to what we were hearing from our community, how people were using it, what they were mixing it with, entry points throughout the day when they were using it, how they would like to use it. And just hearing all that kind of feedback helped us to understand what are we even simplifying towards. And how did you go about finding the right components of a feedback group? Is it potential customers or team, surveys? What makes up your feedback group? That's a great question. I would say there's generally two buckets that we like to talk to. And one is a lot easier than the other, but both are important. One is you want to find your absolute net promoters, the people who are nine or 10 out of 10, they love your product. They tell their friends about it. They're subscribed. They buy it by the boatload. You want to find out why do those people like it? You know, my product isn't totally perfect yet. Why are you buying so much of it? What are they doing with the product out in the world? And is there a way that you can build for that super customer to make them even happier, to get more people like that? The other people that you want to find are the people that don't like your product or the people that thought they would like the product. Maybe they bought it once and then they stopped buying. That can be a harder group to find because your super fans are generally like really excited to hear from the founder or someone on the team. Hey, I run product at XYZ company. Can I get your feedback? Oh yeah, sure. I love XYZ. Like, let's talk. It can be harder to find the people that didn't like your product 
because they're over it. They're not excited to talk to you maybe, but there's always a way. Sometimes you have to reach out to more people. Sometimes you have to be just very kind in the language that you use. Sometimes you offer them store credits or an Amazon gift card, or you somehow make it worth their while because that feedback is worth a lot. Hey, why did you think that this product would be interesting to you? And then why did you end up not buying it again? I mean, you can ask that direct question. You can also peel back the layers of the onion a little bit and ask other types of questions like, how did you use it? What were you expecting to get out of it? What did you get out of it? What? How do you tell your friends about it? You can ask those kind of sub questions to get at what their conception was of the product and where maybe there was a mismatch of expectations. And ideally you come out of it knowing like, okay, well, I could have won that customer if we'd done X and you start seeing the patterns. I'm chatting with Michael Brandt, the co-founder and CEO of HVMN, the makers of Ketone IQ, the Ketones supplement drink. So I want to move a little bit into the marketing section. I know that in the beginning, at least, you're targeting a lot of specific groups, like you mentioned, the ones who are early adopters, who are really into the similar biohacking communities that you were probably. So how did you go about finding the specific communities? How did you go about finding the right people that would be interested in Ketones IQ? It's definitely a specific group where we're seeing that Within this niche of people, they are absolutely obsessed with ketone IQ, but then 97% of people I meet in real life are like, what the heck is a ketone? Why is this for me? So it's a really prescient question of how do you find your right niche? Like ideally everyone or a lot of entrepreneurs want to become a household name. They want to be everywhere, but what does that center of the bullseye look like? How do you make your first million, your first 10 million, even your first 50 or 100 million, you're relatively constrained within a certain niche. And then you, we always think about as concentric circles around the bullseye. But as far as a bullseye for us, like one of the neat things about Ketone IQ, it's it's a pretty technical product. You kind of got to go deep on it. You got to learn about it, listen to a podcast, read a blog post, to understand what it even is. But one of the cool things that we have in our favor is that it works and that when you drink it, you can objectively measure your blood ketone levels. So you can use things like a blood ketone strip, which you can buy online. There's, there's companies like Keto Mojo that make a direct blood prick that you can prick your finger and you can measure your blood ketone levels. So, so for us, we use it to our advantage, which is, okay, this is kind of a technical product that doesn't really mean anything to 97% of people. But for the people that are really into it, it's really cool that they can measure it and see it. So people that are wearing continuous glucose monitors, people that have an aura ring or a whoop, we're able to start saying, okay, well, if this product really resonates in communities where people are measuring, they have these hardware devices that helps provide seeds for where we should be going and doing partnerships with. So, okay, let's do partnerships with levels. They make a continuous glucose monitor. Those people are really familiar with what we're talking about here. Let's do a partnership with Aura, with Whoop, people who are wearing some sort of wearable that's measuring their biofeedback. Those are our people, someone who owns a Peloton, someone who is already being quantifiable about their biology. They might not have woken up this morning wanting to buy a ketone, but they're at least in that ballpark of understanding quantifiable biomarkers and how to manipulate them. And, and they're a step away from us being able to tell our story as opposed to just you know a random person on the street. That's really interesting because I think you combined both partnerships and also demographics to make sure that you're targeting the initial set of customers. Moving beyond that, what were some of the first marketing efforts you did to reach a bigger audience? Your story has to get an order of magnitude 
simpler. Your audience gets order of magnitude larger and your story has to get an order of magnitude simpler. Like our core core audience, like with our V1 that was extremely expensive, extremely technical. It's like we had a three podcast rule on it where like no one is buying this like Navy SEAL super juice unless they listen to at least three podcasts that like deep dive on the biology, either from myself or my co-founder or our research lead, or you know, there's a robust field around exogenous ketones. There's other researchers doing interesting work on this space. So we have this unofficial sense of that persona where there's this three podcast rule. They're going really deep. They're spending 90 minutes minimum to learn what is going on with the space. Well, now we're at a spot where I think people can get up to speed on ketones by spending, I don't know, nine, 10 minutes on our website, poking around and learning things. The next frontier is, okay, like what about 90 seconds? What about just in a grocery store, inspecting the packaging and getting a sense of it then? How, how do we make it 10 times more communicative? And in being 10 times more communicative, we're opening up 10 times more surface area where, okay, well, once you're in grocery stores, like that's a lot broader than just being in this hyper-focused biohacker, super niche of, of super high performers. A lot of it is... For for a product like ours, it comes down to trust and education and social proof. People got to hear about it from people that they know and trust. A lot of relationship building, to be honest, just getting into some of how we think about growth is that just buying straight ads on social media is not the way for us. That's like maybe a small sliver of what we do, but we find it much more effective to partner with people who are health coaches, doctors, people who have a platform or a podcast or a doctor's office or a weight loss clinic or are uh, some sort of subject matter expert believable in the space and have a following of people that already understand and trust them, that that brokering partnerships with those types of people, that's been an important part of us from jumping from you know our initial hyper-focused bullseye to, I would say, the, the next concentric ring around that. You mentioned podcast education. Content is such a big part of your marketing effort. Tell us about the different strategies you have on education and content marketing. One thing that I always say to other entrepreneurs or people who are considering getting started in a startup journey is you can actually start the content and education and community before you even start a business. So if if you're at a job, you can like keep your day job and you can start building a following. You can make helpful Instagram reels or YouTube videos or blog posts. You can get 10,000 followers on Twitter, 25,000 followers. You can build up a following, a community, a content basis before you even start a company, before you even know what company you want to start. You'd rather be in a spot where you have 25,000 followers. You test out a few different concepts and you see what resonates with your community, you'd rather be in that spot than like have the perfect quote unquote, you know, in your mind, perfect product and no one's around to sell it to. Like no one's, no one's interested. It's really hard to get the the first hundred customers. So this is a, as a general way of thinking about it, content and community could, should always come first. And then you can see your community as a, and your content in general is like a way to test bed, like concepts and areas where, where you have better or worse success at at driving interest around topics that you care about as an entrepreneur. I love that. And I think that's extremely valuable advice, especially because audience, community, that's not built overnight. And it's something really important to starting any business. So, so excited to hear more, Michael. We'll be right back after this quick word from Shopify. Whether you're dreaming of starting your business or in the middle of scaling one, we know that building a business can be lonely at times. 
To bring fellow founders together, we've launched our merch store, Shopify Supply. From hoodies to socks, you can represent your hustle spirit. Check it out at shopify.supply. That's shopify.supply. And use the code podcast for 10% off your complete order and you'll get free shipping within North America too. Happy shopping. We're back with Shopify Masters. I'm Shuang Esther Shan, and my guest today is Michael Brandt, the co-founder and CEO of HVMN. So you guys have actually moved into grocery stores. Tell us about the process of developing those relationships. I would say most CPG, consumer product goods entrepreneurs that I know have the opposite path that we have had where it's really typical as a CPG food beverage company to start off in grocery stores and then at a certain point try to figure out how to start a Shopify store, or how to build an online following. For us, it's been the opposite where we've been digitally native and now we are figuring out how to be in real life, how to, how to be in actual stores. I would say you always want to use what you have as a strength. Like the grass isn't greenest on the other side of the fence. The grass is greenest right where you are. The grass is greenest where you water it. And if you are a digital brand and you're breaking into retail, what's awesome about that is that you have robust data already and you can pitch, hey, look, this is de-risked. Like we're already making seven, eight figures of revenue on our product online. We already know who our customer is. We already did that testing. We're not gonna waste space on your shelf because we're not sure does this have product market fit? Does the messaging connect with people? Like We already know that. Look, I can show you my Shopify dashboard. I can show you who's buying it where. I can show you who's buying it in your zip code. That has been a massive advantage for us as we've gone into brick and mortar retail to be able to to pop open the Shopify dashboard and show people, look, like this is this is not just like a cool product concept. Like there's real customers here. We can A, we can drive those customers to your store. And B, there's more customers where that came from. Like that there's a whole big country out there. Like not everyone has heard about us yet. Like the same thing that worked to acquire the customers that we do have is going to continue to work as we scale. That the same core message that's resonating on our current surface area is going to resonate in your store. You just have a lot of believability on you. A lot of times retailers like to look for prior signaling of, of an effect in the market. They don't want to be the first one to buy $10,000 worth of your product and then be left stuck with it. So being able to parlay your online success into brick and mortar store is a huge benefit that digitally native brands have. A lot of ketone IQ consumption is about repeat purchase and getting into a habitual routine. So tell us how you've decided to package the product to help with this model of consumption. Yeah, that is a super astute question, especially for a brand like ours, company like ours, where we invented something that's really cool technologically, and it's about mapping it to that exact ritual, that exact usage point. One concept that I read, it was years ago at this point, but it always stuck with me is this concept of a category entry point. Like when you think about Corona beer, you think about the beach. Can you drink Corona on your couch at home? Absolutely. Like you can drink it anywhere, but they have implanted that they are the beer with a lime to go and enjoy it on the beach. That is really good definition of category entry point. That is a way you can think about for your own product is what is the category entry point? When are people supposed to use this? 
and then working backwards from there. So for us, we thought about it and it was, hey, you know, ketones can be useful all these different points throughout the day. It's a metabolic super fuel. We're all doing metabolism all the time. One thing that we've decided on strategically is to really focus the message on have it first thing in the morning. That is the category entry point. When you look at other brands, other brands that we respect that are in the just general supplement space, we borrowed inspiration sometimes from them and saying, okay, well, yes, like you can have functional mushrooms at different points of the day, or you can have CBD or collagen or whatnot at, at certain points throughout the day. But having a concrete story, hey, take this with the sunrise, take this with your morning energy lift. Can you also have it other times a day? Sure. But really focusing our messaging around morning ritual, wake up, you just fasted overnight, your metabolism is in a really good spot because of that overnight fast, keep it going, have some ketones, have some water, have whatever your morning supplement stack is, have a cup of coffee or a cup of functional mushroom tea, whatever's your thing. Like we want to be part of that moment in people's day. So, so then we develop all of our onboarding, all of our creative messaging, all of that packs into that. And we still always hold out. Like, look, if people want to have it other times of the day, if people want to double click or read the advanced level usage guidelines, we always offer that. But we've decided to be very polarized into, you got to have a, a single chief way that people are using your product and the simplicity that you net from that. It feels like you're chopping off arms when you're not saying all the other things that you want to say about how, when, where, why to use your product. But I think that's the right decision is to is to chop so that you can simplify and then just trust that, yeah, the it really pro users, the people that are really into it, they will double click in and they will figure out, oh, wow, turns out I can drink coffee also in the afternoon or also at 9 p.m. Like people will figure out when they're really into your product, how to use it beyond your one category entry point. I think that also touches on pricing a little bit. I think the lowest denomination right now online is three packs. So it's a high financial commitment for someone to start trying it. So there's a tension between the initial like first time user and also getting more repeat purchases. So how did you go about determining the pricing aspects of when you guys were launching this? Yeah, I love this question because we put a lot of thought into this where you're absolutely right. Our, our current lowest price offering is $120, which to me at first sounded very steep. My intuition was to offer something way less. But we looked at the data and we collected some really interesting vantage points around it. And I'm happy with where the decision is for now, where basically when people find out about us, they're pretty excited about the product. And we have pretty high conversion rate, even at that relatively high dollar amount. And we're getting a lot of referral traffic. We're getting a lot of experts, health experts, coaches, that type of people, high trust, referring people in a lot of these biohackers this is their thing. They're down to spend. They have a $2,000 bike. They have kitchen cabinet full of all these other supplements. It's not a lot of money there. Could we convert more if we chop the price in half? Yes, but I don't think we'd be converting twice as much. And that's where the math is really interesting. We'd actually need to be converting more than twice as much because once you have things like free shipping and other kind of fixed costs per package that you send out, Acquisition costs, where you say you're, we're paying people a twenty dollar bounty for every customer, like that's a common pattern with with affiliates, is to give you know X dollar referral. Once you have all these fixed costs of the transaction, when you start running the math on it, it's like okay, well, one hundred twenty dollars has a certain conversion rate. If I chop the price in half, I would need my conversion rate to actually be three times as as high, and that just ain't happening. That's a peak at the way that we slice the data on it. I will say that we're also thinking, and it's it's not like a forever thing where I expect at some point that 
as we continue to grow, we will revisit this. We will want to offer lower price entries. We will continue to grow sophistication on how we're acquiring new customers. We will tap out of our core bullseye of people who are down to spend $120 and we will just by means of necessity have to lower the price point into lower cost offerings. But we're going to wait until basically growth slows down before we go and pull that lever. So I think that's also very fundamental for the financials of a business. Starting a business, financials is such an important foundation. So what are some tips or metrics you think are important for founders to keep an eye on early to make sure that they do have a solid financial foundation? This is one of the things I love about Shopify, which is that there's a whole app ecosystem. One app I think is really cool is an app called Lifetimely, where they will show you your lifetime value of certain customers and you can slice it in a bunch of interesting ways. Like if you sell multiple products, you can see, oh, well, customers that start out by buying product A, what's their lifetime value versus people that start out buying product B, what's their lifetime value? I like that app a lot. I think that's a really helpful tool. Or if you don't use that app, just a general sense, some way of ascertaining the lifetime value per customer. And it continues to grow, right? If you just launched your product three months ago, you're going to have people that have been around for three months. You're going to have people who have been around for two months and then people who have been around for one month. As your product has longevity on the market, you'll see richer cohort data where you'll be able to say, hey, what is my six-month LTV? What is my 12-month LTV? Are successive cohorts more or less valuable? Hey, you'd expect that when you first launch that those customers are going to be like super fans, really in your product. A general trend that you tend to see is that later cohorts are less quote unquote valuable because you've tapped out on like the super fans and you're now getting into the semi fans and the people that you really had to convince to try and buy your product. And having a feel for that as a as a founder, as a as a leader, super important. Beyond obviously you got to keep a tight look on your your PNL, your basic financial statements, but one of the best markers of financial health is lifetime value. And you know, that's just that's gonna factor into how much you're willing to afford to acquire a customer and just general health of of your business. Looking forward, any exciting plans or news that you can share with us? A few things going on. I would say retail, really excited for that. Really excited to just be everywhere. I think that one hand washes the other. I do not see it as cannibalizing. Like, oh no, we're in grocery stores. Is that going to cannibalize our Shopify sales? I don't think so. I actually think it's going to add to it. I think that having that awareness, that legitimacy and vice versa, like when people go and they see a really cool Shopify store, they're going to be more inclined to buy it in their grocery store because like, okay, this brand has a really cool story behind it. They, I really like the way they communicate what they're, what they're all about. So I'm excited for a retail expansion. We also have upcoming products coming out where the whole idea with ketone IQ is that it is a nutritional primitive. So the same way that you think about collagen or CBD those have been around for a decade plus. They were not always on the map, but they are now on the map. We've released Ketone IQ as the nutritional primitive. And part of what we're doing is we're listening to customers on, okay, yeah, what are the, the key ways in which you're using this? Is there a way that we can build a follow-on product that really specifically meets that use case? So for instance, a lot of people are having it for post-exercise recovery alongside their recovery protein, their overall recovery drink. So, okay, can we make it an all-in-one drink that is powered by ketone IQ and also has those other functional ingredients in it? 
we have a few different things going along those lines of thinking. Well, super excited for the next chapter. And thank you so much for being here, Michael. Swing, thanks for having me. This is a great conversation. That's Michael Brand, co-founder and CEO of HVMN. And that's all the time we have for today. I'm Shwang Esther Shan. Come hang out with us next time on Shopify Masters, wherever you are on your entrepreneurial journey.